0: Hello, and welcome to the Simple Classroom Podcast. I am your host, Stephanie Sutherland, and I am so excited that you're here. We are kicking off a brand new series on the podcast today. In the spirit of February, this series is all about falling in love with your small group instruction. Now, maybe you hear that and you're thinking to yourself, my small group teaching time is my favorite part of my day. Or maybe you listen to that and you go, ugh. There is nothing you could say that would make me fall in love with small group time. It is so much work and extra prep and planning, and it's so overwhelming because the kids need so many different things. No matter where you are on that spectrum, I think you will find value from today's episode because we're talking all about planning, comprehension, fluency, and phonics, small group plans, all with just one formula. One formula that you can use as a jumping off point to plan any small group lesson to target any skill that you might need to target. So we're going to dive into that right now. Let's go. Okay. So let me tell you guys about my first year teaching ever. I was a fourth grade teacher. I was a fourth grade teacher at a small country school that had about one to two teachers per grade level. This school was also departmentalized K through eight. It was a K through eight school and every single grade in the building was departmentalized. So yes, that meant that there was a reading kindergarten teacher and a math kindergarten teacher. And one, each kindergarten teacher would have half the grade for half the day and at the halfway point you would switch and you would take the other class the other half of the grade and you would teach your subject again to that group of students now this school was so small that some grade levels only had enough kids to justify one teacher so that teacher didn't get to be departmentalized I remember my first year there there was only one second grade teacher and one kindergarten teacher but The numbers would fluctuate from year to year as they do. So there would be years where you would need two kindergarten teachers or two second grade teachers and only one third grade teacher or whatever the case may be. But every single grade, if there was enough kids in the grade level to split the kids up, every single grade was departmentalized which meant every teacher was an island, whether you were all alone and you were the only teacher in that grade level or you were another teacher in your grade level, but you were the only one teaching your subject. You were an island. So I was hired on to teach fourth grade reading, which meant that was all I taught was fourth grade reading all day long with some social studies embedded in. And I was the only fourth grade reading teacher in the building. There was one other fourth grade teacher, but she was math and science. So I didn't lesson plan with anybody. I didn't collaborate with anybody. I didn't have to talk about what assignments are we going to grade and not grade with anybody. Everything was my jurisdiction, which as a first grade teacher was very, very overwhelming. The most overwhelming part about it to me, though, was this was a really rural school, with a really wide range of needs. So I had students in fourth grade who needed phonemic awareness and phonics skills. Like I would have to put on my kindergarten hat during small group time and take them all the way back to those skills that they had not mastered. I had kiddos who needed fluency work Their fluency was so poor and they hadn't mastered that yet so that it was hindering their comprehension. They were reading their sentences so choppy and slow that by the time they got to an end of a paragraph, they had no idea what they had just read because they weren't reading it naturally. And then I had kiddos who they were ready for fifth and sixth grade novel studies. They were just flying through what I was teaching. So I found that as a first year teacher, I was tasked with teaching the fourth grade curriculum whole group And then for an hour of each of my reading blocks, putting on every single elementary grade level hat to pivot from, okay, this is a phonics group. Okay, this is a fluency group. Okay, this is a novel study group. Okay, this is an odd grade level group. And it was so overwhelming. Being the only one doing it made it much harder, but it was overwhelming in general. I have never stopped finding that overwhelming. Now I'm 10 years into my teaching career and I teach second grade. The gaps are not quite as wide because they're still little there hasn't been enough time to create really huge learning gaps yet but you can already see them forming i have a phonics and phonemic awareness group in second grade i have fluency groups in second grade which i consider to be my on grade level friends because second grade is a really big fluency year and then i've got friends who are reading with perfect fluency flying through everything that i give them and we are working on third grade level text but specifically focusing on using context clues to determine the meaning of unknown words using word parts to help us understand what words mean like suffixes and root words and all of that good stuff i'm trying to fill their toolbox with things that will help them as the text get more complex in third through fifth grade But my real concern right now is the friends that didn't master the phonemic awareness and phonics stuff in first grade and kindergarten, because I do not want them to start third grade behind. So you feel that sense of urgency this time of year. It's February as I'm recording this, and I'm feeling that sense of urgency of, we really only have two months left of instruction before we get into testing, end of year testing and review, and the curriculum runs out. And then it's May, and we might as well just throw that month out because it's all the fun stuff and the parties and the field days. And the post-testing chaos and you don't feel like you really teach anything in May and so I just feel that time crunch like okay guys we got February we got March we start testing at the end of April we got to go we have no time to lose so when it comes to planning and prepping these lessons I need it to be as streamlined and efficient as possible and that's when I started noticing that every lesson I planned no matter what skill I was trying to target followed the same basic formula, and that formula is this. You start with a data-driven decision about what targeted skill you are hitting, right? And you make that skill explicit and clear to your students and yourself. They should know what they're working on when they come to your table. You should know where you're trying to get them by the end of this lesson or the end of this series of lessons. You make that decision based on data. I am a firm believer that the universal screener data you might collect at your school is not enough. If you have something like the Star Assessment or AmesWeb or whatever it is, and they take this long computer test and then it spits out their percentile and it groups them by color, I think... I mean, I mean, this might be controversial, I don't know. I believe that it is lazy data analysis to take all of the kids that are yellow and orange and put them in a group. All the kids that are green and put them in a group. All the kids that are blue and put them in a group. I think that's not really getting to the root of why they scored that way in the first place. The kids who are yellow and orange, what is it? Is it a phonics issue? Is it a fluency issue is it a vocabulary issue their esl and their vocabulary stunted the kids that are in blue what do they need to be working on i think that we need to do other assessments in our classrooms to really di- deep dive into the scores that they got and not just look at each kid as a percentile but really what are the skills they need to hit to be on grade level or above because we are closing gaps here and i can't close gaps if i just say well you were in the yellow so I'm just going to put you in my lowest group, and I'm just going to guess at what you need. So make those data-driven decisions to group your students and decide what targeted skill you're going to hit. Break the skill that they need to learn down into bite-sized chunks, but whether by day or by week, and then choose a warm-up. When they come to your table, you're going to state the skill they're going to work on that day. You're going to give them a warm-up of the skills that they've been working on with you. So for fluency, I'm a big fan of fluency warm-up cards. Um, so that's just simple decodable sentences that the kids can flip through the cards and read out loud while you're laying out the materials for the day or you're reviewing the lesson that you want to do. This is a, the warm up to me is a great way to not waste time as you transition from group to group. The second that my phonics group leaves me and my fluency kids sit down, they have those cards. They're flipping through them while I'm pulling out their materials. I'm getting my notes ready. I don't want them sitting there twiddling their thumbs, talking, things getting loud and chaotic as I'm trying to organize myself for the next lesson. And I don't want any of that instructional time to be wasted. So for me, that's the purpose of the warm up. For phonics kiddos, the warm-up is going to be drilling sounds or words with sounds that they've already mastered so that all of those sounds are right at the front of their brain, ready to retrieve as you layer in a new sound. For comprehension kiddos, the warm-up is a little less straightforward. It's not going to be as direct and explicit, but it should be reviewing maybe what you read yesterday that you're going to close read today or reviewing a graphic organizer of a skill. That you completed yesterday and how now we're going to turn it into a paragraph just kind of review what you just did or use an anchor chart to review the skill that they're working on all week but just put the information that they need for today's lesson at the front of their mind the next part of the lesson after you've warmed up is you're going to introduce and model the skill of the day now The skill of the day in a comprehension group might be the same skill all five days. The skill of the day in a phonics group might be the same skill all five days. So you're just going to model it again. It does not hurt them to see you model it again if they haven't mastered it yet, right? A fluency group might be all five days or it might just be three. And then they're just going to practice independently for a day or two. But however long you are practicing that skill, model it each time. Introduce it. Define it if it's a new skill and show them what it looks like in practice, in action, whether that is creating an anchor chart uh, with the definition and some examples of a comprehension skill or strategy, or whether that is actually reading a text out loud so they can hear what the fluent reading sounds like, or modeling, finding the sound and decoding a word, if that's the phonics skill you're targeting that day, whatever it is, model it. And then immediately turn over the responsibility to the kids. Because this is small group time and we only have 10, 15, 20 minutes. We don't have time for a lot of guided instruction here. It needs to be, you watched me, now you try it. We're going to do this every day for five days if we have to, but you're going to try it. Now, that could be them immediately getting into a fluency passage and reading sentence by sentence with fluent reading and then going back and rereading that paragraph fluently and answering comprehension questions that could be we're going to immediately start tapping and writing some sounds of some words and reading those words and then tomorrow we'll worry about reading sentences and then the next day we'll worry about reading stories but immediately turn over whatever the targeted skill is turn it over to them as quickly as possible. We want as many minutes of small group instructional time to be working time for the students as we can get. So the whole warm up and the introducing and modeling the skill and stating the target, all of that is fast. The practice part should be the bulk of the lesson. They are practicing, you are guiding. You are watching them as they apply the skill and you are giving immediate academic feedback to that and taking notes at the end of the week all of these notes and all this feedback that you collected will be able to give you a good idea of how you should progress next week should you keep working on this skill next week should you move on to a new skill next week should you just throw three or four skills into one lesson and do a big review week and see if you're ready to move on to an entirely new subject with this group of kids but use all of the notes that you collect all week to make those decisions I collect my notes in my small group planner I live and die by my small group planner that's where I keep all of my data printed out stuck in there I use sticky notes to create my groups, so that it's easy for me to throw those sticky notes out and create new groups as often as I need to um, and I, I collect all of my lesson plans and my anecdotal notes in there along with running records fluency checks all that good stuff writing samples from the kids it's all in there It's so nice and easy if I have an observation or a data team meeting and somebody asks me a direct question about how a kid is doing that I can look in that small group planner. I don't have to take anything else. I can just carry that planner with me and refer to exactly what skill we're working on, how quickly they've been progressing through the skills that I've taught them and have some hard evidence of how they really are doing. Because when I was an instructional coach, one of my least favorite things that teachers would do is they would come, they would sit down at a data team meeting, a kid would have shown up in the universal screener, and we put them in RTI, and then we asked the teacher, so how are things going with this student? What are you working on right now? And they would go, "Um, I mean, I feel like they're doing fine, or I feel like they're really struggling. To me, that's... That's the point where you start collecting data on them, right? The moment that you start to feel like something is off or you feel like they're fine and they're maybe in the wrong group, you need to have some numbers to back up those feelings. So, I love having that small group planner with me. So, anytime someone asks me a pointed question about a kid, I have exact evidence as to why I'm working on what I'm working on. It also helps me to know I'm really teaching the kids what they need, right? So, Big fan of the small group planner. I will link it in the show notes so you guys can see it for yourselves. But it is my most frequently used tool in my classroom. So the small group planning formula, just to reiterate, is in short, it is use data to create your groups and create the targeted focus that you're going to be working on with your kids. Plan a warm up for them that's brief, but helps cue all of the skills that you're going to be working on that day. Um, introduce and model the skill that you want them to do by the end of that day, not necessarily the week, but that day. What do you need them to do to progress towards maybe the main skill for the week? And then have them practice, 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 practice. And the whole time they're practicing, you are taking notes. You are giving feedback. Ooh, I really like the way your voice changed. When you got to the end of that sentence, but you didn't pause quite long enough, can you reread it, but take a quick breath when you get to the end so it sounds the way that we talk when we're speaking to each other? Or I really love the way that you wrote about that evidence, but. You did not start with a capital letter and a punctuation mark. And we write in complete sentences. So can you fix that? Like give that feedback as you go so that the kids are learning, the kids are growing, the kids are being pushed and take notes on all of it. What did you have to correct? How many times did you have to correct it? So that when you sit down to rework your lessons for next week, you're not hung up on the details of, well, what text am I going to use or what am I going to teach them? You know what they need to work on because you're just going to pick up where you left off at the end of this week and you know how you're basically going to structure it. You know the formula. Now, To end this episode, I have an exciting announcement. (laughs) A massive labor of love of mine for the past three years of running this business has been writing small group passages because I didn't ever feel, and I, I continue to feel this way, that I don't have enough access to small group passages that are engaging for my students and are robust enough for us actually to practice the skill at hand. So I have been working on primarily comprehension passages, but this year I started layering in fluency passages I am in the works right now of adding lesson plans to all of the passage sets that I have so that teachers can easily take this small group planning formula and look at one set of reading passages and go okay um I can use this formula that she wrote out for me and I see exactly what I need to do on Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday and I can make this set of reading passages last an entire month And with all of that knowledge in these lesson plans, your small group teaching is going to be simpler than ever. So it has been my major passion project, and it's taken me a long time to really formulate what I want those lesson plans to look like so that they are flexible for you and your classroom's needs, but they are clear enough that you could just pick them up and teach from them exactly if you needed to so now as of the time that this podcast episode is released all of my february themed passages now have lesson plans so if you're looking at the rest of february and you are going yeah My kids really need to deepen comprehension. That's where most of my students are at. And I have a few working on fluency. I have lesson plans now for my fluency passages and my Black History Month passages, my Valentine's Day passages, my President's Day passages, and my football-themed passages for the Super Bowl if you got some kids in your class that are really only engaged by reading about sports, which I feel like I've got one or two every year, but that's all they want to read about. So if you need small group texts that will engage your students and kind of tie in to whatever theme you're talking about that week or that month. You can start with the February sets. My goal is to have the March set of passages, the lesson plans added to them by the last week of February. So there's a ready to go before March. But like I said, it's a huge labor of love. So I'm working round the clock on this project. I'm really excited to make these small group passages even more purposeful and help make teaching even simpler for teachers. So I'm going to link to all of that. I'm also going to link to a free sample that you can snag on my website if you are interested so that you can decide for yourself if these lesson plans will help simplify your small group teaching. And that's all I have for you guys today. I'm going to link to the blog post that has the small group formula in it, as well as the free sample of those lesson plans for the reading passages. And I hope that you guys have a great week teaching your students. And I will talk to you next time.